Welcome to Story Story Night, where you hear true stories on a theme recorded live on stage and without notes. I'm your host, Jody Eichelberger. On this podcast, we've put everything out on the table. The periodic table. It's the slam from our flagship season, Brave the Elements, held on February 26, 2019 at Jump, our all-ages venue in downtown Boise. During the slam, we randomly drew names, and a few storytellers brought their brazen stories inspired by the theme copper plus zinc equals brass. Get into your element. It's story time. Come on up, Andrea, if you have five minutes to tell a story inspired by brass, copper, and zinc. Um, oddly enough, my friends told me, you're gonna be the first one called, and I was like, damn it! So a few years ago, I sat across uh, from my husband in my living room while he told me he wanted a divorce. And I sat there and I remember staring intently at the little crack in the glass of my brass-framed coffee table. And I remember staring and staring and staring and, and hoping that what he was saying wasn't real. Well, a couple days later, I started a point-to-point trek from Canada to Nevada through Idaho. It's a 920-mile trek. So two, so two days later, I found myself on the, this trail, and, and I'm not going to lie, it was the first couple weeks were hell. And aside from the obvious physical pain that I was experiencing from doing 25 to 35 miles of running slash fast packing a day, the mental anguish was probably uh, beyond anything at that point that I thought I could ever get through. So day after day, every joy, every disappointment of the past 12 years of marriage ran across my mind and demanded to be relived and completely reckoned with. So after a particularly horrible day, (laughs) uh, 24 days in, uh, we hadn't seen anyone, my trail partner and I hadn't seen anyone in about two weeks, aside from each other, pretty much hated each other, really hated the one to two albums that were downloaded on our, album, on our phones. <laughs> At this point, we were walking several hundred meters from each other. And, and that day, because we were running behind our schedule, we decided we needed to do 45 miles, I guess, in that day. That was 45-mile day. And, and so at the end of that day, we just collapsed. And just like any, every day leading up to that, I, I co- would collapse into my sleeping bag and I would be exhausted. But the mind reel would start. So physically, my body's screaming at me for sleep, screaming at me for rest, and yet my mind wouldn't let it go. So I'd play this game and I would say, oh, okay, all right, when I get home, I have, I have all these ideas. I'm gonna convince my husband that he doesn't wanna leave me. No way, no way, that's stupid. He's gonna to wanna to be with me when I get home. Just wait, just wait. 30 days without me, he's gonna want me back. <laughs> so that would give me a little bit of respite. I would, I would fall asleep in this fitful, fitful uh, sleep and I would get a little bit of rest. 
So at the end of this 45-mile day, I slept maybe a total of 30 minutes. But here was, here's what, ex what was exciting, was we were finally out of the wilderness. It makes me want to break in the song, but I'll let you all do it in your head. And we had a 17-mile day ahead of us before we would meet our crew that would take us through the next 100 or 260 miles, I guess it was. And one of, uh, one of these people included my brother, and, and I was just so excited. So we hand our packs off to the ranger who had been expecting us because my brother had been there for two days straight. Oh, is she here yet? Is she here yet? Oh gosh, maybe we should call search and rescue. I don't think, ah, she's behind schedule. I'd show it up. So we hand our packs to this ranger and the ranger shuttles them to our camp. And my trail partner and I start off. And for the first time in two weeks, we're actually running. We have no pack. We feel so light and amazing. And 10 miles in, I, I kind of look back just a split second to say something to him, and I trip. I still don't know what made me trip, but I tripped. And I had about, I don't maybe two seconds to realize I'm not hitting the trail. I'm going off this cliff. So I touch, I remember falling, pitching forward, and, and I touch the trail, but I just go free fall head first off this cliff. And I'm running along the middle fork of the Salmon River. Probably some of you know this river. And I, all I know is it's about 50 feet below me. And I'm just falling and I'm falling. And I'm not, anything I'm touching is just falling out of the cliff. Because it's all just this loose rocks and dirt. And, and I'm saying, no, 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 no. You have to stop. You have to stop like now, now. You have to stop. And I, I can kind of hear my trail partner just screaming my name, but I just completely tunnel vision or tunnel sound. I, I'm not sure what to say there. And at the moment that I just let it go, my heel, I had at this point flipped so many times that I'm going foot, foot first down. My heel hit a rock that suddenly didn't move. My hand gripped something in the dirt that didn't move at the same time that my body kind of wedged itself into this crevice. And it, at the same time as everything was so loud, it was so quiet. So I quickly evaluate myself and I just hear my breath, just okay, 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 I'm good. I yell up to my trail partner, I'm okay, because at this point he's screaming bloody murder. I wish I could, he was here so he could like mimic it, but it was bad. <laughs> I crawl back up. And we finished our, our seven miles that we have left. So um, I'm going to skip forward a little. There's a lot more to it, but I think I'm going to skip. And uh, three days later, I still kept trying. We tried to do our 30, 30 miles a day. And uh, <laughs> I, I'm finishing it up, I swear. And three days later, a stomach virus attacks me. At the same time, my body decides it doesn't want to do this and I have to quit. The next day, my husband brings the divorce papers over, and a couple hours later, I put an ad in, on Craigslist that says, for sale, brass framed coffee table. <laughs> Slight crack in the glass, however, the frame is very sturdy. Our next story slammer 
is Bonnie V. So I'm zinc, and he's copper. Zinc and copper sit side by side on the periodic table, just the same way we did in the lecture halls all through medical school. And in the same way that zinc's electrons get all caught up in copper's atomic orbit, I hitched my hopes to his vision, his confidence, his dedication to the path ahead. And even while I willingly contributed domestic, artistic, and creative energy, he set firm tracks ahead towards security and success. We collaborated and cooperated and bonded really easily. And together we forged a pretty attractive, durable container with no visible scratches or dents. And out of that came two amazing children, one all bells and cymbals, and the other a deep-toned singing bowl. And we had two brilliant careers, each of us performing at peak, a lot like well-lubricated valves and gears. He had a medical research lab. It was the first one in Idaho. Nights and weekends, he spent writing grant applications for funds to keep the lab open and papers to publish as evidence that the lab was worthy of further funds. So he kind of had a wicked, never-ending cycle going there. I had a clinical practice for children with cancer. And please, no sympathy here. Those days with our children gave motivation, inspiration, and direction to all of us, and I became a better mother for every day that I spent in clinic. He traveled the world presenting his data, and I traveled to workshops and seminars on how healing happens and what might be the connection between fear and suffering and why some die young. He was all about collecting evidence, and I was full of questions that had no answers divergence began to brew in our cauldron. But our commitment was a lot like a brass zipper, sturdy enough to hold things together reliably, slick enough to slide easily, rarely jamming or snagging. And in the same way that a brass zipper can outlast a worn out garment, the fraying edges and thinning fabric of our union started to become evident long before the zipper gave out. We were just all about getting it done. Only nothing was ever all the way done because there was always something more that needed doing. And that left no time for fun or imagination or relaxation or rest. 30 years in our bubbling crucible of productivity solidified his structure nicely while I lost track of myself, quietly vaporizing away without noticing. I just love being alive. Curiosity and interest and fascination float out of me in all directions. And when I find a familiar frequency, I just want to connect. And then I'm all in. And before I know it, I've forgotten who I am or what I want. I just want to be part of the action, along for the adventure. As things began to cool down, he developed a nice burnished finish. People started commenting on his gentleness, his kindness, his generosity. And then people said, well, wait, those elements were always part of your essence, and now he's absorbed them into his way of being. And I just smile because he's better now than ever before.
Back in chemistry lab, I remember waiting for the reaction to finish. And whatever's in the flask, you know, determines the timeline. So I would have to sit and watch for the fizzing and the bubbling to settle down. And then I would wait for the solution to cool, and I'd look for what was left. And then I would weigh and measure. And it wasn't ever about anything lost. It was always about something entirely new. So I would weigh and measure what I got. And in this case, I can only treasure the transformation that happened. For almost 20 years now, I've lived happily on my own in a sweet little house full of sunlight and silence. And just inside the front door, there's a long, narrow cabinet against the wall. At one end, there's a square of bright silk cloth with a carved wooden Buddha sitting on it. There's a big old Christmas cactus kind of leaning over his shoulders. You might see it as an altar. Sometimes friends who have been traveling bring small gifts to leave there. And if I have a concern or an intention, I'll write it on a little piece of paper and leave it at the Buddha's feet. And the seasons come and go. The candles burn down. The fresh flowers fade and die. But three items have been there since the very beginning. A brass singing bowl, a little brass bell, and a brass lotus flower fully open, holding my wedding band deep in its center. Attractions and reactions happen all the time, all around us, mostly unnoticed, some of them leaving no trace, but some of them yield results beyond measure. Thank you. Christopher Sundberg, come on up. Hello, Christopher Michael Sundberg, local comedian and all-around dynamic individual. <laughs> the incident occurred roundabout when I was in fifth or sixth grade, when I was living in, well, when I was condemned to a purgatorial environment called Sandy, Utah. <laughs> purgatorial populated by the images of people with the images of smiles, polite gestures that were really more about passive-aggressively communicating their disappointment that you weren't a part of the Mormon church, <laughs> which I think was their version of politeness. Uh, if I could just complain about Utah one more time. Uh, <laughs> The partial year that I spent in public, in public school there, uh, they had all sorts of folk tales, including the famous one about the crickets and the seagulls, but also one where a gentleman was passing through Utah, and he came across Salt Lake City when it was just shacks, and he talked with Brigham Young, and he said, wow, you could not build a city here. And Brigham's, Brigham Young said, oh yeah, I'll show you. And the man looked at him weird and left. And he came back several years later when Salt Lake City had become more of a bustling hub of some sort and uh, found Brigham Young again. And Brigham Young couldn't wait to say, I told you so. And I feel like if that story had continued just a little while longer, the man would have said, no. What I meant was you'd have to be an idiot to put a city here. That desert is made of salt. 
When it's foggy, it smells like someone's farting through an armpit into a crawl space. So anyways, I was in fifth or sixth grade. Me and my mom lived alone in a townhouse, which she was working two jobs, working herself to death to be able to afford. Uh, also meant that generally when I got home from school, she wasn't there for a couple more hours. Uh, so that evening, I came in, uh, closed the sliding door, slipped out of my sweatpants, just left them by the door, and wandered around in my jockey shorts. It was a three-story thingy, a three-story townhouse. Upstairs were our water beds, because it was the 80s. <clears throat> well, early 90s, same thing. Downstairs was the entertainment. That's where the TV was, my Nintendo, the laundry room, and the IBM Personal Systems 2 computer. That's where I went. I don't remember why I got the hammer. It wasn't a neat hammer. It was a single mother hammer bought for $5 when she needed to hang up some photos. And in the room with the computer was my mother's brass-framed daybed. I couldn't tell you what was on my mind while I was pounding on one of the little pummels that was on top of one of the posts. It wasn't anger. It was more that kind of predatory catharsis, that feeling that rushes in to comfort you when you feel powerless because of bullying, which was strange because I hadn't been bullied for several years. My mom was working two jobs to keep me in a private school called Realms of Inquiry because of how I was treated in the public school. But it had been several years in that public school, there were two boys in particular that uh, wouldn't let a day pass that they didn't single me out in front of everybody. To be fair, I did pick my nose, but that's <laughs> just a thing. <laughs> One incident, an incident that in particular that comes to mind is it was about three o'clock or whenever school is about to get out, everyone was arranged at the door, me closest, looking at the clock, waiting for the bell to ring. And I should have been suspicious when I sensed movement behind me and I turned around to look and there was one of those two boys creeping back with that weird look on your face like, did he notice, did he notice? And I just looked back up at the clock and the bell rang and I fell flat on my face and everybody walked over me laughing. And the teacher didn't really do anything. I went to the computer lab. I went home. I felt 
really just empty and alone. My mother pulled me out of that school because of stuff like that. And the day that she pulled me out, the principal brought me into his office to apologize for how I was treated. And during that meeting, mainly what I thought was, thank you for the token gesture the day that I'm leaving. Perhaps you could have done something before this? But that was several years before I wasn't being bullied. I was in a school that I liked where I was being nurtured. I had friends, but that just leaves marks on you. Those cracks stay and they occasionally need to be filled. What really bothers me is I did that to my mom who was working herself to the bone with two jobs to make sure that I could be in that school. People hurt you and then you can't help it. That's just there with you. And you will, despite yourself, hurt other people. You just have to watch. You just have to make sure you make it up to them. Make sure they know you. You know them, you know you. I told her, well, first I hid it under a, uh, under a pillow that dented up. It looked like a morel. I told her, I said, Mom, when you destroy something that's important to somebody, you should tell them, right? And she said, yes. Well, I, 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 beat, I beat the hell out of your daybed thingy. Chris! All right, fine, thank you for telling me. I always thought brass was gaudy. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Story Story Night receives support from the Boise Arts and History Department and is funded in part by the Idaho Commission on the Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you to our media sponsor, Radio Boise, our season sponsor, Pettit Realty Group, and the Copper Plus Zinc Equals Brass show sponsor, Cheeky Teo. Podcast production is by Stephen Baldessari. Our theme song was composed by Dan Costello, and our musical guest was the Boise Phil Brass Quintet. Support this storied program, get tickets to our live show, and stay tuned at www.storystorynight.org or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Story Story Night. You can also donate by phone. Text FLAGSHIP to 41444. Thanks for being a part of our story.